The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Yes, we have. We've come this far by faith. It's not been easy. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want you to be very, very serious with me today about your life, about where you're at, what you're doing with your life. Are you growing cold in your heart and turning to doubt Or are you walking by faith with great courage, standing though the heavens fall? Well, Moses was standing in front of God. The bush was burning, but not being consumed. And out there in that desert, after 40 years, there's no indication God spoke to him during that time. He may have, but there's no indication we know that Moses made a decision to cast his lot with the children of Israel. And now he hasn't seen them for 40 years. He's been out in the desert where he escaped from Pharaoh's attempt to assassinate him. He doesn't have anything. He hasn't made any money during these 40 years. He is a shepherd for another man, his father-in-law. He takes care of the sheep. He has a wife and he has two children. These children are growing up. Moses stands in front of God. And now he knows he is powerless. As opposed to when he was 40 years old, he thought he was the most powerful man around, and he could start a revolution and free the Israelites from Pharaoh's bondage. But now they've been in bondage for another 40 years, and he hasn't heard anything about them. 
suddenly God comes, meets him unexpectedly on the far side of the mountain. When God shows up, it's almost always unexpectedly. He shows up, he gives his message, and you're surprised. God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And there may be periods of time when he doesn't speak very much, where he just expects us to do what we're supposed to do. Every day, Moses had to wake up and clean the snot out of the nose of the sheep. He had to clean the maggots out. He had to to pour oil on their head to keep the flies off of them. He had to bind up their wounds. When they were bitten by snakes, they would die out there. He had to carefully watch the plants that were poisoned, the snakes that were there, the the wild animals that would come and steal his flock. Every morning he got up and he had to take care of all that without God saying anything. He just had to do what was his responsibility to do. I've done that so many mornings. No, I'm not cleaning out sheep, but coming and speaking to his sheep, speaking to you day after day with sometimes seemingly no result, but still I'm told, I was told to come, and so now I have to come until he tells me no, year after year, because he wants to do something. I don't know what he's going to do or how, but I know he's going to do something. His heart is to save his people. And there are many lost sheep in Washington, D.C., and you may be one of those today. And you have had your radio changed suddenly so that you're listening to this pastor. God wants to do something with you. Or you may be one of my regular listeners. Hear what I'm saying. God wants to do something with you. He wants to touch your heart. He wants to change you. Some time ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, Let the Holy Spirit make a new man of you. Well, after Moses has walked 40 years in the desert, He no longer carries the fantasy of Egypt. He no longer carries in his heart the expectation that he will be able to deliver the children of Israel. He gave that up many years ago. For all he knows, this is going to be the rest of his life, facing the desert with his sheep. A time of utter stillness and quietness. I'm sure he communed with God during that time. We don't know very much about that time because the school of the Holy Spirit is tailor-made to each one of us for exactly what we need. Now, the Lord says, Go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses' first response is, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm nobody. And God says this very simple thing. I will be with you. God never sends us on an assignment without being with us. God is with us when we are on his assignment. But Moses faces the demand of a doubting heart. I'm sure he said to himself in the desert as he spoke with his sheep, I don't even know how to talk anymore. I'm a shadow of the man I used to be. 
He's no longer the strong, arrogant savior of the world. He was in the prime of his life after 40 years of desert duty in in Midian caring for sheep. But God, in his mercy, said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship. You will worship God on this mountain. Let's remember the whole book of Exodus is about redemption. The whole book focuses on our redemption. Not just the children of Israel, but our redemption. And God said, I'm going to be with you. And that when we are redeemed, we are redeemed to worship. This is not just lifting your hands and singing songs that are popular at the moment. No, worship is lifting our hands to God and saying, I belong to you. Worship is recognizing that I have no strength and it all abides in Jesus. Worship is when I give all of my worth to him. Money, time, energy, family, everything belongs to Jesus, and we place it in his hands. That's worship. We also serve him. That's worship. All that we do in relationship to God, if it's righteous, is worship. Now Moses says to God, this is found in Exodus, the third chapter, verse 13. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Meaning the verb to be. I am the self-existent one. I have always been. I will always be, past, present, and future. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I, I am, has sent you to, sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name which I will be remembered from generation to generation. So go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold, for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And Moses answers God, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Didn't God just say, the elders of Israel will listen to you? Yes, he is contradicting God to his face. This is a common experience that you and I both have walked in. 
where we are called to do something by the Lord God of heaven. There's an urgency in our heart. There's an assurance in our spirit. But we falter. We face the demand of a doubting heart. We face the demand to be realistic. We face the demand not to rock the boat. We've always done it this way. Let's keep on doing it this way. We're comfortable. We're surviving. We're making it. Let's keep doing it this way. That's not an answer that God wants. He wants us to let our doubt go and trust in his mighty name. And is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no, no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. Some of you have wanted to start that business, but you've been afraid to risk it. There's a a bakery shop that I have great admiration for. It's found at the Galleria Mall, up on the third floor, where you would not expect a business like this to prosper. But when this woman retired from the government service, she'd always wanted to open a bakery. So the counsel she received was, don't do it. It'll take all the money that you've cashed out of your retirement. And if you fail, then you have no retirement money and you're hung. But she kept thinking and praying. And finally she said, I have to do it. And so she started this bakery. And I tell you, their crumb cherry pie is the very best. Their cakes, their cupcakes... Every time I'm over by that way, I at least go by and say hello. Go in and at least look at all of the desserts. I don't always get one because then I'd have to wear the dessert. But I love that cherry, sour cherry pie with a scoop of vanilla ice cream on it. I do that maybe once or twice a year. She risks everything. There's another place, it's called the Bistro de Hermitage. You wanted to open a a restaurant, a French country restaurant in Woodbridge, Virginia. And so he looked for a place. He wanted to do it in Woodbridge because he knew it would be less expensive to buy property and he was not willing to rent. He wanted to buy the property. He was working full-time as director of the restaurant, the Watergate Hotel. He wanted to open his French country restaurant. So he took all the money he had from the sale of a partnership in another restaurant that he was part-time working with. He took that investment and he bought the property in Woodbridge on Old Occoquan Road. He didn't have any money left, but he started gutting the place out. He didn't have money to pay for anybody to come and work with him, but he could do it himself, and so he went to work. He was able to work year after year on that restaurant. Been about five years, and he still wasn't open. And he tells this story of how he utterly gave up. And he was sitting on the floor in the middle of this empty restaurant. No tables or chairs. He sat down on the floor and he was ready to quit. And two men walked into the restaurant. He said, hey, when's this joint going to open? He said, I don't have any money left. Well, what do you need? 
Well, and not being really serious with him, he said, see that space over there? I need a full mirror there. And I need two lights drilled into the mirror so it's beautiful. And they said, great, we'll do it. He said, I don't have any money. They said, we didn't ask you for money. We'll do it free because we want this restaurant to open. And later, family money came to him. And he was able to finish the restaurant. That was the turning point. And today it's a very popular restaurant among the top 100 restaurants in the country. The owner, Yusuf, is a very dear friend of mine. He is a man of great courage and faith and trust. What I'm saying to you is, do you have a dream to do something that God has called you to do? Then go do it. Obey the call of the Holy Spirit in your life and go do what you've been called to do. And don't let the doubt stop you. Now, I want to walk through three signs that God gave to Moses to reassure him that the elders of Israel would listen to him. God says they will listen. He says they will not listen. What if they don't believe me? God said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. The Lord said, Throw it to the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, what is the significance of this sign? Well, let's think about it. He has a staff in his hand. What what does he do with a staff? Well, he leans on it. He trusts his weight on it. He defends himself from snakes with it. He defends himself from wild animals with it. It is his offensive weapon. This, this is a powerful tool in his hand. We'll throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground, and it becomes a serpent, a snake. Well, what's that mean? You know who the serpent is in Scripture? The devil. So now he takes that which is his support, that he trusts to defend him and to support him, and he throws it on the ground. He throws it away. He throws it down. And it becomes a snake. And it terrifies him. When he runs, his heart is filled with fear and doubt. But God calls him back. And he says, pick that snake up by the tail. And when he does, it becomes the staff of God in his hand. It becomes the staff of God in his hand. What are you running from? What is the serpent hissing at you? that's causing fear and dread and doubt in your heart. Pick it up. It will turn into a staff. What is it that you have been afraid of doing? Do it. Pick it up. And it will become a staff for you. Jesus is our staff. God is our staff. We put our weight upon him. We trust him. He defends us. He carries us. It's this, this staff that Moses had 
and God says, throw it down, it becomes a snake. When we throw down the word of God, when we doubt the word of God, that thing will become a snake for us. When we put absolute confidence in the word of God, it is a support for us and a defense for us. It is the power of God to deliver us. But if we don't take action and we don't move forward, using the staff as support, moving ahead on the word of God, not allowing the demands of a doubting heart to grab us, not allowing the the demand of the doubting heart to control us. But instead, we take action on what God has told us to do, not on what our flesh is saying. Our flesh says, just sit there and have faith. Don't do anything. No, did you know waiting on God is a very active process? When you wait on God, you're constantly in prayer and intercession. You're constantly doing the things he's already told you to do. I'm waiting on God for revival in Washington, D.C. So what am I doing? Am I hidden away in a closet somewhere? No, I'm here on the radio with you. I'm in my prayer closet. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm reading the word. I'm talking with people and encouraging them to walk the walk with me. I'm confessing every wrong thing. I'm dealing with reality. I'm facing the reality of my life and my situation. I'm now 74 years old. I've been a pastor for more than 50 years. God has carried me. Most of that time I've lived by faith, not drawing a salary, walking in obedience to Jesus. Now, it's like I'm at the end. Am I or am I at the beginning? I believe I'm just at the beginning where God is going to pour forth his spirit in this city and do wonderful things to bring revival to this city. Am I ready to retire? No, I'm just ready to start. It's taken me these 74 years to learn enough about God and to trust enough in God that finally I'm in a place where I'm saying, okay, It's time to do FM radio. It's time to do revival. It's time to move forward. How do I do that? I wait on God. I do what he's told me to do. I say what he gives me to say. I pray. I fast. I wait upon him. I am singularly given to the work of the gospel. I don't pay attention to the things of the world or the entertainment of the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are dead to me. I am alive to Jesus. Do you understand? That staff is in my hand. If I throw it down, it will become a serpent, and it may bite me and kill me. I mean, what would happen to me if I would say, look, all these years I've waited and I've hoped and I've prayed. I give up. I retire. My dad used to always say, Raymond, when you get old, and that seemed impossible to me, he said, don't rust out, wear out. He was right. People who retire die. Unless they find something else to do to contribute to somebody. Contributing makes us alive. So, Moses now 
has a staff in his hand again instead of a poisoned serpent crawling around on the ground, likely to strike him and kill him. But that wasn't the last one. The Lord then said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. The Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. Well, what's the significance of this? Well, our hands are what we work with. Our hands are are the way we perform our labor. So, God is saying, put your hand in to where your heart is. Pull it out. Now, there you see the human condition. Half eaten away, leprous, filled with sin, filled with darkness, desperately needing redemption. Put your hand back in. Now bring it out. And his hand is new. The flesh is not eaten away. What's God saying? The hand of flesh cannot deliver you. Moses knows that. He tried. And he ended up running for his life and spending the next 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep. He has been humbled. In fact, the scriptures say he was the humblest man on the earth. Moses has been humbled and quieted, tamed. The wild impulses are no longer there. He doesn't bounce from here to there and back again. Every morning he gets up and he takes his sheep to the next pasture land. The next day he takes his sheep and provides them with water. So they have grazing and they have water. The next day he wakes up and he checks their noses and he checks for flies and lice and he takes care of the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. A hand that is leprous cannot take care of the sheep. A hand that is leprous is hurting fingers may have been eaten away, stinks. That's the flesh. That's human strength. But when God restores and redeems us so that we can now worship him, he makes us clean. Now is anything too hard for us? We follow the direction of the Lord. We do what he tells us to do. And we do it in the might of the Lord. We do it in the power of the Lord. And success comes from the Lord. No pride in this. No no sighing that people are not recognizing me and, and making me so important. No, it's duty. One day at a time, doing my duty following the command of the Lord, walking it out. This is going to take a clean hand to do this. And Moses is now being told to show the children of Israel the leprous hand on one hand and the restored hand on the other. And if they will understand, they will recognize that God can change them and take them from being slaves to freedom. Now, why did the children of Israel fail in the wilderness? Because they would not believe the word of the Lord. They would not believe the Lord. 
He would say one thing and they would argue. They would fight over, where's our water? Where's our food? Where's this? Where's that? We need this. They were never willing to settle down and say, Lord, we trust you. They were out in the midst of a desert where they would die if God didn't take care of them. And he's taking wonderful care of them. Their clothes aren't wearing out. Their tents aren't wearing out. Their shoes, their sandals aren't wearing out. God is carrying them in his arms. He is carrying them through this howling desert waste of scorpions and snakes. No water, no food. He's carrying them. They would die out there if he didn't carry them. But they still won't believe him. They're cynical. They're angry. Finally, the Lord gives one more sign. This is Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, No, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 8, Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. You could take this two ways. One, you could understand that he is saying, your blood is going to be poured out on the ground if you don't believe. If you don't take courage and listen to Moses and walk out of this slavery, you're going to die in the slavery. Your blood will be spilled on the ground. Because even in slavery, the protection of God was around the children of Israel. But if they utterly reject the Lord God of heaven and will not leave Egypt, their blood will be spilled on the ground. Now, obviously, there's another meaning that can easily be taken. And that is looking forward to the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary, where his blood was poured out for you and me. It's all about redemption, redeemed to worship. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Well, that's that's not a correct assessment of his abilities. We're told he was a powerful man of speech and action. The Lord patiently answers him and says, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And Moses says, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Made God mad, finally. I want you to recognize today that if you will not believe the signs that God gives you and step out by faith and be faithful to do what he's called you to do, if you get sidetracked into all other kinds of things, If you begin to spend your time and energy pursuing money instead of pursuing God, if you begin to cut off things that were sacred in your heart, the reading of Scripture, prayer, fasting, service to God, if you begin to reduce those things in your life and you begin to enlarge the pursuit of money, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of anything other than God, You will make God angry with you. And it's not wise to make God mad. Now God holds his peace. 
But he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand. This is now later going to be identified as the staff of God. We must have the staff of God in our hand. Moses is finally willing to consider taking on God's assignment because he won't have to walk alone. Now, I can't tell you how that encourages my heart. I'm walking right now through some very difficult times. Difficult financially, difficult in a number of different ways. But I'm not having to walk alone. I understand, Moses. I understand the demand of the doubting heart. And I love my alone time with God, and I spend much time alone with him every day. But I recognize it's not just Jesus and me. It's also me and my brother and my sister. For many years, and you've heard me say it if you've listened very long to this radio broadcast, Jesus is enough. And I want to say to you, yes, Jesus is enough, but part of Jesus is to bring us into fellowship with brothers and sisters so that we do not walk alone. It was not God's plan that any of us should walk alone. In the Garden of Eden, he saw that Adam did not have a partner, and so he created a woman to be the helpmate to Adam's heart. They needed each other. We need each other, too. I can't walk this journey by myself with just Jesus because he means me to have the church with me and me with the church. We've gotten, and I've gotten in trouble through the years by being just me and Jesus. I've talked at length with people who bounce. They'll come to church and then they don't come to church. They, they'll move somewhere. They'll start another job. They'll do something. They're never steady with people. If you're not steady with people, you can't be steady with God. And if you're not steady with God, you can't be steady with people. They go together. Remember Jesus in the book of John and again in the book of First John. We're told that the way the world will know that Jesus was the Son of God was by the way we loved each other. We need each other. God did not intend for us to be loners. Are you a loner? Have you said, it's just Jesus and me? We're going to tough it out. Please reconsider that position. I have. I can't do it alone. I need Jesus. And I need my brother and my sister. Moses' heart is turned when God speaks of his older brother Aaron and says, Aaron is already on his way to meet you. In other words, don't disappoint your brother. 
He could stand disappointing God. At this point, Moses could still stand disappointing God, but Moses could not stand the thought of disappointing his dear brother. And so he decides that he will go. We gain courage by walking together. It's wonderful to have a brother call me. And if he doesn't reach me, just pray for me on the telephone and say to me, as a dear brother did twice in the last week, Pastor, I'm concerned about you. Are you okay? And pray for me. Pray a beautiful prayer of love and support, encouragement. means everything. When we walk with brothers and sisters in harmony and in love, not judging, not accusing, not criticizing, but we walk in compassion and love and mercy, wow, the power of God flows out of that. You don't have to walk alone. Find a church. Pray and ask God, where should I go? Now, many are going to help you, but God will send you to a place where you can grow, where you can be serious about Jesus, and you can be serious about not bouncing from here and there, but, but standing and saying, I've planted my feet here. I'm going to make a contribution that God has called for here. I'm going to serve here the will and the work of the mighty God of heaven for his people. I'm going to pour my life out here. I invite you to come and do that with us at the National Prayer Chapel. We are very serious about Jesus. We're very serious about walking together. We're very serious about crying out to God right now about how should the church look. We're going through a phase of complete restoration and rebuilding. What should it look like? How should we do it? We don't know. God knows. So we at the National Prayer Chapel have the staff of God in our hand. We're being faithful to do what he's assigned to us both in our personal life and in our corporate life. If you'd like to come, you're welcome. You would be greeted with with great joy. <laughs> Just go to the webpage or Google National Prayer Chapel, and Google will pop up for you a map for how to get to the where, location of the church and the time, and a phone number, and if you'd like to call me, you're welcome to. I know that Jesus knows what your situation is, and he knows whether you're hot or cold, whether you have been distracted, and now you're beginning to be convicted that you have to make a change. You have to go a new direction. Take the staff of God in your hand and move out. Do what you're called to do. Go where you're called to go. Be what you're called to be. Be serious with Jesus, and he'll be serious with you. These three signs are given to encourage our hearts that we would know beyond any question that God is with us. He gives us the staff for our support and our defense. It is the staff of God. It is not our staff. It is the power of God. He gives us restoration. He heals us of our disease. He restores our spirits. Psalm 23. <clears throat> and finally, 
the consequence of not moving forward is that we die. <clears throat> I apologize for my voice. <clears throat> it's a little rough today, but just pray for me. It'll clear up. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue this study. We're going to begin in the last part of the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter of the book of Exodus, the book of deliverance, of restoration for worship. Now let's pray. Almighty God, I know that there are people listening right now that you're calling to get serious, to take up the staff. They've been only seeing the snakes. And they're frightened or they're troubled. Lord, you commanded, take that snake up by the tail and it will become a staff. I pray you'll show us how to do that. And I pray, Lord, that you will heal our hands and restore us that we could do what you tell us to do. Give us the strength and the courage to accept the assignment you've given us and know that cynicism and unbelief and doubt are all a part of the past. Lord, some today are very angry. I ask first that you would forgive them for their anger. And I ask, Lord, that you would remove the anger by a sovereign work of your grace in their heart. As they finally say, I don't need to be angry anymore. I belong to Jesus. Lord, help them to give up their pride that makes the anger. Humble our hearts before you, almighty God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You're welcome to go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Some of you have said, yes, I'm going to go and make a contribution, and then it hasn't shown up, and I suspect you had a hard time getting through. I'm sorry. We're working on getting that simplified so that it works much easier. You can also write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress today. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening, praying, searching your heart. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.